Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Welcome back, everyone, to the Center for Congregations podcast holiday edition. Hey, hey, hey. We hope that you are having a great holiday season, and uh, Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate Christmas. Happy Hanukkah for those of you who celebrated Hanukkah. And just kind of rounding out the year, this is the end of Season 3, Episode 11. I'm Matt Burke in the Northeast office in Fort Wayne, and with me, as always, or at least as usual, I guess I'll say... (laughs) Is my friend Ben Tapper. Hey, Ben. And this one episode, and now I'm not always here. <laughs> hey, Matt, it's good to be here. So today's episode is a little bit different, but we just wanted to set the stage. This is an interview with Tim Shapiro, the president of the Center for Congregations. And because we are in the midst of the Christmas season, and of course, we've got the great story of Ebenezer Scrooge, we decided to go with the theme of ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, but it is congregations of past, present, and future. We're super creative, y'all, if you can't tell. We just want to pat ourselves on the back for that one. Yeah, because, you know, no one would think of that nope. in this season. Never. Of, you know, Never been done. Bogarting on <laughs> on that topic. Never been done. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we just thought it'd be fun to have a conversation, the three of us, myself, Matt, and our president, Tim, and to reflect on what trends we've seen in congregations pre-pandemic, what trends we've noticed since the onset of the pandemic, and what trends we expect to take place into the future. So designed to be kind of light, kind of goofy, but also I think we dropped some some pretty cool content along the way. So we hope you enjoy this episode. The two of you who will be listening <laughs> the holidays. <laughs> hope you both enjoy Podcast it. Podcast listenership drops dramatically. So if you if you are one of the two people who are listening, drop us a line at podcast at centerforcongregations.org with the word ghosts. And we'll know that we've got some faithful listeners who, when it dropped on December 29th, were on it and just could not wait to listen to our podcast over the holidays. Right. <laughs> right. We appreciate you, by the way. We appreciate you. We do very much. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for being here. Enjoy the episode. And we will see you next year. Peace. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Center for Congregations podcast. I am your co-host, Ben Tapper, and I'm an associate for resource consulting here at our central office in Indianapolis. And I'm joined by, as always, the incomparable, incontrovertible Matt Burke, who is our education director out of our Fort Wayne office. Hey, Matt. Hey, Ben. Hey, everybody. And the one and only Reverend Tim Shapiro, who is the president for the Center for Congregations, also coming out of our Indianapolis office. Welcome, Tim. Thanks, Ben. And hi to you also, Matt. Hey, Tim. We're so polite. I love it. So today we are having a conversation. This is actually an episode that we tried to do last year, y'all. We shot it, recorded it. It just never made it out of the can. And we're committed 
to giving it life this year. Uh, so we're going to have a holiday-themed conversation about congregations. I know y'all been asking for this. And it's entitled Ghost of Congregations Past, Present, and Future. And so we're going to talk about what we've observed from congregations in the past, primarily pre-pandemic, how they moved in communities, how they operated, what we saw within our work, what we've noticed presently, that's congregations since the start of the pandemic to now, and then looking out into the future, what we're seeing from congregations moving forward. And I'm excited about this. I think Matt and Tim are excited as well. So let's jump in. And Tim, we'll start with you. What were some of the defining characteristics and traits that you noticed of the ways that congregations existed prior to the pandemic in the past? Yeah, so of course, maybe depends on how far to go back. But congregations, I think, would never have suspected COVID. So one of the ways in which they were operating was that life was going to be pretty much the way they were experiencing it. So congregations of past could not have seen COVID coming. They might have seen other things that were the end of stuff, but not COVID. I also think congregations had the luxury to spend a lot of time on, I don't know if it's organizational matters or practical matters of the congregation, finances, fundraising, getting ushers, things like that. And some of that, I think, also went away with COVID. But in the past, if you walked into a congregation, this isn't true for all congregations, but there would have been probably a volunteer sheet. There would have been a list of Sunday school for next week and just kind of living out stuff as if nothing different was going to happen. Yeah. So like a business as usual kind of approach and assumption about the ways that we would gather and be in community, because those are the ways that congregations had been gathering and been in community for decades, centuries, you know, however long. Yep. A central place for people. Yep. Yeah. Building focused, maybe. How about you, Matt? What would you add to that? Yeah, I think building focused was definitely at the top of my list, just in terms of the congregations that we worked with. You know, the facility was a major component of it. I think also, you know, kind of toying with the idea of change, that society and culture are changing and there are new technologies and maybe we'll think about how we'll use those sometime down the road. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, you know, some congregations were interested and involved in live streaming, but it was something that was kind of just dabbled in as, you know, an add-on. Yeah. So I think that's definitely a major difference between what we'll talk about from congregations past into present and future. But it's interesting how much space is a viable question, right? Mm. And the way the congregations thought about their space. And when you would talk about space, it probably would have been physical space in the past, would have been the primary consideration, the primary thought process. Yeah. I love what you said about the relationship to change. You know, if I imagine ghosts of congregations past as like a literal ghost, which by the way, we tried to book actual ghosts for this recording, but they're really oddly expensive, y'all. You wouldn't believe it. So maybe next year we'll roll that into this episode as well. But absent the actual ghosts, you know, if I imagine them, I'm thinking about a ghost that is concerned with change, fearful of change, really avoidant to change. Things had been kind of happening a certain way for a long time. And for many congregations, there's a general view that that was working, at least for those for whom it was working. And so why mess with it? Why mess with live streaming? Why mess with recording? Why mess with improved microphones or cameras or fluctuating service times? And and so the relationship to change seemed to be much more fearful and apprehensive, at least for many of the congregations I've encountered at my work than what I've experienced now. 
Matt referred to space. I think place also is part of the story of congregations past. And in no way am I wanting to characterize a lot or all congregations, but there's a certain segment of being congregation in which the line between the congregation and the local place, the local community, was pretty thick. Mm. And that the congregation's engagement in the community certainly was there, but the space between the sanctuary door and the sidewalk was metaphorically yeah, thick. And pre-COVID, for many congregations, that's true. And if there hadn't been COVID, that probably would have continued that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I think where there might have been difference in that would be when we're talking about our congregations of color. You know, I think as we've learned, I think in our work and our experience, historically, especially in, in many black and Hispanic or Latinx congregations, that line between where the congregation ends and the community begins is much thinner historically. And so in some ways, I, I wonder if those congregations were better positioned to kind of deal with that merging that we've kind of seen societally or at least congregationally across denominations, across faith traditions. I wonder if they were positioned to deal with it better or to adapt to it more readily than maybe some of our white mainline congregations, white evangelical congregations. And I don't know for sure, but that's something that I do wonder about. So this isn't evidence-based and it certainly isn't science, but like in April of 20, the center did a, yeah, we did a survey. Again, this isn't science. It wasn't evidence-based. But the key question we were going after is what were congregations, as they were being forced into COVID, what was their relationship to their community engagement or community ministry or social services in April as opposed to in January of 2020? And 75% of the congregations that responded said they were still continuing the, what they were adding to the social fabric. 100% of the black churches said they were continuing, and many of those black churches were expanding Mm. what might be called social services or adding to the social capital. Wow. Yeah, that speaks to that thin line that already existed there and the ways in which those congregations understood community and congregation to be overlapping, interweaving, rather than distinct and separate. I'm also wondering, this is something we touched on last year when we spoke, and we kind of had a joke about <laughs> starting off last year's interview on such a dour note. But there was a theme that I heard, and maybe it was more so in our white mainline congregations about decline, is the church dying, you know, what's going to happen, especially among certain denominations. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, Matt and Tim, maybe it's been different for you. I haven't heard as much of that talk, as much of those questions as I was pre-pandemic. And I honestly don't know what to make of that. And so I'm just curious if that has tracked with your experience, Matt and Tim, and if so, what you make of that. Oh, Ben, that sounds like an invitation for me to get really gloomy and down and depressed. When Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little fussy, you know, angry. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll step in and then, and then see where we go. So this is just a story, but I think it's a story that tells the whole world. So the center works with Dr. Christina Jones-Davis, who's a professor at Christian Theological Seminary, and I'm white, she's black, she works on a program called Formative Power of Congregations, and I was asking Christina, what do you think is going to happen to like congregations of color? So right there, there's some assumption I'm making during COVID, you know, what will happen in terms of being able to keep the building and so forth. Again, my white presumptions. And Christina goes, well, if they can't worship in the building, then they will find a home to worship in. And if they can't find the home, they'll find a public space. And if they can't find a public space, then they'll go into space. They're going to worship no matter what. That tracks with something I observed in my neighborhood, actually, for a while 
there was a small black congregation that was just literally worshiping outside on like their sidewalk and across the street from each other. So you had like the band on the sidewalk and you had the rest of the congregation in like the grass and chairs on the other side of the street. And so if you're leaving the neighborhood, you had to drive through a worship service that was happening uh, every Sunday morning. And I think that speaks to like the adaptive dynamic nature of at least some, if not many congregations of color. And there's a beauty and a richness in that. So I kind of always just kind of smiled to myself every time I would drive through it. It was, it was a cool sight to see. So Matt, how has the conversations around decline shifted or remained the same in in terms of your work? Well, probably the thing that I've heard the most is surprise at an online reinvigoration. And it's not been true in all cases, but in many cases, congregations have been very surprised at the number of people engaging online. In some cases, I've heard, you know, statistics recently, and these are anecdotal statistics, so I don't think these are indicative of all congregations, but... You know, they're saying that, yeah, we're maybe about 50, 60 percent back in person, but our online presence is, you know, four or five times bigger than it ever has been. And so I think while there may still be the decline in certain spaces and maybe congregations that haven't been able to adapt, but those that have been able to adapt, it sounds like they've found a new audience, really, in a lot of ways in online spaces and even audiences that they weren't even necessarily seeking. I think that's a beautiful segue into this ghost of congregations present, you know, so talking about what we are observing from the spirit of congregations circa the beginning of the pandemic to present day. And what I hear you talking about, Matt, is an embrace of adaptation and beginning to see some of the maybe unexpected benefits of the changes that were once so feared. And it turns out some folks are seeing a broader audience and maybe even growth, depending upon how you measure it. Yeah, not only growth in numbers online, but even I've heard a lot of congregations saying that they were very surprised at how financially stable they have remained throughout. And I know that a lot of congregations adapted to some form of online giving when maybe they hadn't done that in the past, which might be part of it. But, you know, there's been a lot of economic hardship on a lot of people. But even in spite of that, it seems that anecdotally, again, a lot of the congregations that I've spoken with have been able to remain relatively solvent, and some have even reported upticks or increases in giving in what's happening in their congregation. And so I think people were surprised that the pandemic wasn't more detrimental to congregations than it has been. That's been something that I've seen kind of in the present. Yeah, a couple of things there. One is that, yeah, giving was up in many congregations. We've heard that here at the center. Also, that congregations had less expenses. There was, in some ways, less expenses in terms of building up keep, day-to-day use of the building, et cetera. And so some of the financial strain on congregations that one might have thought would be there during COVID weren't there, one, giving stayed, and two, there were less expenses. So, yeah, dynamic there. Another, I don't know quite how I'd characterize it. I think I'd use the word fearlessness. I'm thinking of ministers I know who took more chances in their sermons, took more chances in their teaching, like before they might not have said something that they really felt strongly about and had interpreted scripture in a certain way that they weren't sure how the congregation would respond. And they didn't want, you know, 50 emails about what they preached on, you know, in 2019. But after looking out at the sanctuary, not seeing anybody, it's like, what do I have got to lose? So there was a certain amount of fearlessness along with resilience 
I think I'm talking about clergy, but I also think with certain lay leaders in terms of how they portrayed the gospel, how they spoke from their heart rather than being guarded. I think, yeah, once you almost lose everything, you get freed up. Yeah, and I'm wondering if some of our experiences, I'm reflecting on the fact that we're noting that giving was up for some congregations and that so wider audiences were reached for some congregations, that part of what might be happening is that we are interacting with the congregations that are still around. And so we're just hearing more of those stories because there were indeed congregations that are no more, at least in the way that they existed, buildings that had to be closed or let go of. And so we do want to honor that. And we know that that is happening. And so there may be some like skew to our data, to our experiences that that I do just want to name for our audience. And that doesn't change the truth of what we have been hearing from congregations that are still around. And I also want to know that... When we talk about congregations from the start of the pandemic to now, we can't have that conversation without talking about what many have termed like a racialized uprising that took place, especially in the summer of 2020. And we've seen that impact, to your point, Tim, I think the fearlessness of some congregations and some leaders. I've heard repeatedly that there are clergy leaders that maybe before social justice issues would have been on the periphery or something they talked about periodically But as they began to wrestle with community and what it means to keep young adults uh, and teens engaged and to give those folks more voice, they realized, oh, these are the things that actually matter to them. And so we need to kind of like pick a lane, take a stand and actually be talking about and wrestling with these things. We can't just be silent about it or mention it when it's convenient for us. And so I've heard a lot more congregations trying to figure out what does it mean for us to address these issues, especially when there's disagreement within our communal spaces. So we gave a grant to a congregation. The first grant that I can think of that was like this is a congregation where they wanted to learn about how together they could have a stronger public voice. They wanted to learn how to be able to share what they truly believed and what their life experience was on the streets uh, beyond the sanctuary, like even on the steps of the capital of uh, Indiana. And so there's people who train folks on how to find their voice in the public sphere. So this congregation was trained and they were better prepared to do something that they really wanted to do which was to speak to all of the patterns of racism that are continuing. They wanted to speak up and say, hey, not here, not now. Yeah. I think it's beautiful that we're able to support the congregations that are wanting to do that, be it through our grant program or through resourcing. That's, I think, one of the joys of my job is getting to help congregations that are are doing that work day in and day out. How has this come up for you, Matt, as you've been engaging with congregations? I think especially in your role, not only as a, a resource consultant in Northeast, but you know, you're also over education. So you kind of have two different lenses that you're probably viewing this through. Yeah, well, it's definitely appeared in education. We've had a number of events around diversity, equity, and inclusion, racism in, in America. And I have to admit, I was a little bit surprised at how well-received and how many people showed up for those. It was gratifying to see. Because I think it was a topic that that the center, a lot like congregations at times, we were maybe a little reticent to step into those spaces just because of some possibility of backlash or issues. But I think the recognition was that so much is happening in our society that to stay silent is to choose a side. And so really we're in a cultural space where there is no neutrality any longer. And as it was probably a myth before. But there's no neutrality now. And, Say what? And so, <laughs> so it was good to see 
congregations stepping up and coming to these events and engaging with these topics and issues and asking really hard questions, listening to speakers who are educated on these topics, and really taking seriously that this is a topic and a concept that needs to be addressed in congregational spaces. I think there's a reticence. There's a podcaster that I listen to that talks about how we can't conflate politics with partisanship, meaning that politics is not a bad word. There's nothing wrong with politics. In fact, politics is necessary for the workings of a society. But often when we say politics, we mean partisanship, which then gets into the animosity and the division and all of those kinds of issues. And just remembering that for congregations, no topic should be off the table. That, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to abandon your values, your theological underpinnings, but you do need to address and engage with the dialogue of what's happening in society with your congregation and not pretend that congregational life is somehow completely separate and above the rest of life, that all of life is integrated. And so it was really encouraging to see congregations stepping into the learning spaces and learning more about these things. And I think they're much better equipped for the dialogue that's happening in our society right now as a result. Yeah, thinking of dialogue, one of the things I've noticed about the Zoom space, and I know there's Zoom fatigue, you know, it's like, oh, my goodness, do we still have to have Zoom meetings? But I've observed in many of the Zoom gatherings, whether it's educational or center staff or otherwise, there's something about the Zoom space where people are willing to take back to the risk, more risks in terms of what they say, how much of themselves they reveal, how deep they go into a conversation. At least that's what I've noticed, particularly early on when people were adapting to the Zoom atmosphere and the Zoom space. And so, Matt, when you were just talking about the need for conversation and that politics and being partisan are not the same thing, I thought about the Zoom space. Yeah, different kinds of conversations take place there. Yeah, and I wonder if for some folks there's an added level of safety at the inherent physical distance the Zoom space offers you or any virtual space offers you. I know I, I feel that whenever I'm on Zoom or Teams, not that I wouldn't be a complete you know, fool in person, but I definitely feel that it happened much more frequently in the Zoom space. Matt, I want to return to something you said about in congregations, no conversation should be off the table. And I agree, but I know there's a congregation out there somewhere thinking, okay, fine, Matt, but... Have you ever tried to replace pews? That's a conversation that might need to be off the table. <laughs> or have you ever tried to put a screen in our sanctuary? Right. right. Yeah, I know. That can just shake the whole world. Those are, those are the hardest ones, I think, sometimes. Don't touch those pews. Man. Well, but I think that that's an interesting component of congregations present that – I think it's opened up space for these conversations because there was some consternation in certain theological circles of, is it possible to be church, to be a congregation virtually? And some saying that, no, absolutely not. There's no way you can continue to be a faithful community, a faithful congregation if you're all digital. But that kind of went out the window <laughs> in the first few months of the pandemic and when things shut down completely and it caused a rethinking. And one of the things that can help congregations as they move forward and kind of the fearlessness that they've found is the fact that we've had to grapple with so much already and had to grapple with so much change and deal with things that we never thought we would have to deal with. Questions of how do you take communion as a body when everyone is separate from one another? And so therefore, I think conversations that maybe were off the table before were on the table as a matter of necessity 
But I think that also can potentially help us to put other questions on the table before we get to a crisis point and recognize that we can grapple with hard decisions and hard questions without having to reach a crisis point and also deal with them in an effective manner. Yeah, so the story of faith, the story of the congregation can be seen from a larger perspective, a more whole perspective. I'm going to show my age here in the generation here. There's a documentary out about the Beatles. Yeah, you can guess how old I am now. It's like a nine-hour documentary about them making an album. From the same films, 1971, there was a two-hour documentary released basically about the same stuff. And the two-hour documentary just captured the Beatles just arguing with each other, getting ready to quit, not throwing their guitar, but just about. And the nine-hour documentary pulled from the same source, told totally different story. Hmm. They're laughing, they're dancing, they're having fun. There's only a few moments of where they're not getting along. And it seems to me that something, when a clergy person or a lay person does not have to worry about whether there's going to be an usher next week, then they can see a different kind of landscape, landscape of lives, landscapes of people who are ready for dancing and people who need a little time by themselves, but that somehow COVID congregations, rather than the view being narrow, it's like it widened into a great wide open. Mm -hmm. And it's a good documentary too, by the way, directed by the same guy who did The Lord of the Rings, so now I'm not so old. Uh, the nine hours make sense now. <laughs> How <laughs> much longer? <laughs> and I noticed, Tim, you couldn't resist slipping in a Tom Petty reference there into the great wide open. So yeah, nice job. Right. Yeah, I'm glad you caught that. It went right over my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. You know, we talked about the ghosts of congregations past being focused on like an apprehension about change and being fearful and hesitant to change. Congregations present being forced to adapt, but engaging with the spirit of adaptability and transformation and maybe even boldness at times, um, being able to see the expansion that was possible. What are we envisioning will characterize the spirit of congregations moving forward in 2022 and beyond? In a different setting, Ben, I've heard you talk about decentering the different kind of institutions, people, families, places of residents that are decentered, that are on the margins, so to speak, because of systemic things. I think one thing that might happen is that congregations, which I think in certain congregations have experienced being moved to the margins, I think there might be the possibility of, that's okay. Congregations might think, hey, this isn't a bad view from here. We cannot actually do some things at slant, so to speak, that we couldn't otherwise. There's a town in Indiana called Oldenburg, really rich history. It's a German town. When you drive into it, it's really cool. It's like you're driving into a town in Germany. But there's all these steeples, and the sanctuaries are right in the middle of town. And that would have been so true in so many smaller towns and rural areas. But wherever their location has been, congregations have been placed at the edge of life. And I think congregations won't like feel the need to be triumphantly centered so, yeah, I think this decentering or kind of moving towards the margins is going to become increasingly important. And I don't know if that means that congregations that 
are middle class, kind of white, maybe mainline congregations, those congregations that demographically have been more centered. I don't know if they themselves will begin to shift and bring in people and voices from more of the margins of society or those historically marginalized voices, or if we'll see kind of the congregations that are made up of those voices and experiences kind of become more normalized or their experience of congregational life, their exercise of faith and faithfulness will become more normalized in the fabric of U.S. Christianity and congregational life. I'm not sure which way it'll go, maybe both, but I think one way or the other, there will continue to be a move towards the margins where we are understanding what it means to be faithful through the lens of and the voices of people groups and communities that have been historically disenfranchised. And honestly, that really excites me. That makes me want to become more involved in congregational life rather than less involved. Yeah, it's a really interesting premise. My hope would be that congregations could find and right-size their mission. Because I think the expectations of the faith traditions that I grew up in, being part of a congregation meant that that is where you put your life energy. That if you're serious about your faith, you pour all of your life energy into this congregation. And that's what discipleship meant, and that's what it meant to be a part of the church. But I've heard some conservative evangelicals talking recently about how what we see happening in our society has been a failure of discipleship and meaning that we're not really preparing people how to live their lives outside of the church and recognizing that potentially part of what faith formation needs to be is to equip people to live their day-to-day lives in a fashion that is commensurate with their deepest faith commitments. And so congregations understanding that people being a part of it doesn't mean that they need to pour all of their attention, time, energy, finances, etc. into the congregation, but it's the congregation's job to prepare those people to divest their energy in culture in some way, shape, or form, wherever that might be. And so this moving more towards the margins reminds me of that kind of idea that let's stop seeing the congregation as the apex of what life is, but rather as that which equips people to step into whatever that apex of life is for them personally. I know for me as a father of two young kids, I don't have the time to invest in the ways that growing up I was taught I was supposed to invest. And one of my key jobs is just to be a good dad because my kids don't have anybody else. Other adults, other people in the world have other people that they can rely on. My kids only have me and my wife. That's it. And so, you know, I need a congregation that number one understands that and number two helps equip me in some way, shape or form to be a better father and to be a better person in the spaces that I inhabit outside of congregational life. And as we look into the future, I would love for congregations to be cognizant of that and to shape themselves in such a way that you're supporting the people in your congregation to be involved in the world in the ways that they're involved in the world through their occupations, through their relationships, through their families. I want to notice something just in the conversation here. So when we started this podcast, we were talking about budgets, surveys, we were talking about the buildings, but notice where the gone to people's lives, it's gone to the margins of people's lives, it's gone to what matters most in people's lives. And I think that very direction that our conversation has taken is the exact same kind of opportunity and actuality that is occurring in congregations. Yeah, very well said, Tim. To bolster that point even further, you know, Matt, I think how congregations evaluate what it means to equip someone to be a better dad is going to be based off more than 
you know, what is written in some random book and verse in their sacred text. Now, I think it will include that still, but we've seen a big emphasis on mental and emotional health since the start of this pandemic and congregations have begun really embracing that. You know, I think across the ideological or theological spectrum, I've heard conversations, whether you're in evangelical spaces, uh, black spaces, Latinx spaces, like people are talking and trying to incorporate mental health, trauma-informed care, things of that nature into their faith formation now. And I hope and I believe that's going to continue in some way, shape, or form. And so how congregations understand what it means to shape people, I think it's going to be on the whole healthier, or at least it will speak to more parts of a person than maybe it would have, you know, three to five years ago. The mental health topic is really big and it will continue to be. The stigma is maybe breaking a little bit because of COVID. And we all know, or I know, I'm learned, I did not know this before, that one of the greatest health disparities are around communities of color and access to mental health services. Another place is rural. If you live in a small town in Indiana, access to mental health providers or any kind of care like that is just not there. And I think we could probably come up with stories of clergy and lay leaders reaching out, using uh, resources that they know, being willing to have folks travel in. Yeah. So there are many pockets of congregations that are going to be seeing trauma that needs to be treated and other things that it's going to start with the congregation because the health providers aren't there. They would be there if they could be, but they're not there. That's not where they're located. Yeah. Well said, Tim. Well said. We haven't even mentioned kind of maybe the most obvious and persistent thing that we've heard and experienced is this expanded use of technology. I think there is a, a loosening of, of the hard and fast boundaries of what it means to be a congregation. And that loosening allows for more flexibility and creativity. So if we don't have to have a hour and a half service in the same building at the same time every Sunday, or if we don't have to have, you know, a 20 to 30 minute sermon same way every Sunday, then we can be creative about how we gather, when we gather, what we talk about, which allows us to be adaptive to the needs of the people that we're serving, which is what I think we're all getting at is that congregational life is becoming more and more about the needs of people day in and day out and congregational leaders figuring out what it means to do work that meets those needs while also reimagining and letting their understandings of community ebb and flow as they need to. So I have two stories, two little anecdotes out of the center's work. So small town, Indiana, very small, like the church is the only thing really there. Average age of the membership, 70. One of the things they did say by May of 2020 was, you know, this is a small church. There might be 30 people that are associated with the congregation, like six or seven of the members who were over 80 and had not been to church for a long time because of health and other reasons. And there were six iPads delivered to these homes and someone from the church went to that person's house on Sunday morning and made sure the iPad was working for them. So these are older adults who otherwise had not participated in the life of the church, particularly the worship life, until this technology was brought to them. One other quick story is there's a pastor here in Indianapolis from El Salvador, comes from a long line, generational line of clergy, and he was telling me how through technology, he's preaching here in Indiana for the first time, his father, minister back in El Salvador, got to hear his son preach because of this technology. That's just, there cannot be anything wrong with that. That's one of those all good things. 
Yeah, such a heartwarming story. And it speaks to that increased connection. It's a marvel to me that, you know, when everything seemed like it was breaking down, our lines of connection, our understandings of community at the height of the pandemic, it seems like things were falling apart and crumbling. In some ways, there have been some rebirths that have come out of that. And I think those stories illustrate that rebirth and reimagining. And and that's just beautiful. And probably as, as great a place as any to kind of wrap up this conversation. So I appreciate y'all joining me to reflect on what we observed in the past, what we're seeing in the present, and then what we can imagine for the future. If things play out at least somewhat the way we think they're going to, I think there's something to be excited about in terms of congregational life. All right. With you there, Ben. In the texts that I grew up with, Mark 16, 8, resurrection story, it ends in mid-sentence. They were afraid for, and then they were going forth. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the chapter, the story, the book continues. Absolutely. Uh, So thank you all for joining us today. We appreciate it. And as always, we want to thank the generosity of the Lilly Endowment for making our work, but also this podcast possible. We appreciate it. And we're always grateful for being able to partner with them in doing this work. We also want to thank Jaden Lee, who helps produce and edit this podcast and make us sound amazing. So thank you, Jaden. We encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want to know more about the work that we're doing at the center and to stay abreast of the great happenings that we have taking place from education events to resources to podcast episodes. Follow us at the Center for Congregations. And we'd also love if you get a chance to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're using. It's the best way for other people to be able to find this content. So we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating and give us a review. And last but certainly not least, we really want to just give a big shout out to the potentially three listeners we have in Lima or Lima, Ohio. We appreciate you. Appreciate your... That is Lima. Lima. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. I'm from Ohio. Okay, my bad. Don't get it. Don't get offended now. <laughs> I <just> wanna... <laughs> Thank you to our listeners in Lima, Ohio. The three of you that have listened this quarter, we appreciate you. If you want to give a suggestion or ask a question, email us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org and go ahead and just type Lima right in the subject line so that we know it's you. I'll bet one of those is Wes Reese. So shout out to Wes Reese in Lima, Ohio. <laughs> shout out to Wes. <laughs> Uh, All right, y'all. Thanks for joining us to wrap up this year. Look forward to another season of the Center for Congregations podcast starting in January of 2022. And if you're celebrating holidays, we hope that you enjoy the holidays and are blessed.